Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Like I said, this is a well-known passage. Paul in here is yelling out to all Christians, and he has a very unique way of doing it. Essentially, in that first verse, he's asking, if you are a Christian, then. But he asks it by running through a list of rhetorical questions about our experience as believers. And it's a beautiful way of asking someone if they're a believer, while at the same time encouraging them in their experience as a believer. If there's any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy? The answer implied to all those is, yes, I do have those things. We as believers should be operating in those realities. And that's what Paul wants to show us. So let's look at each one. The first, so if there's any encouragement in Christ... Encouragement in Christ. A Christian is someone who takes deep encouragement from Christ. What does that mean? Well, I think there's two ways that we as Christians experience encouragement. There's two places. And I'm not talking about just casual encouragement, day-to-day encouragement. Like, I get very encouraged by Dunkin' Donuts. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spiritual, deep encouragement that helps you face the storm of any kind. And this comes from two places. Fellowship with Christ's body and two, membership with Christ's body. And I put them in those order because I think they're in order of the effectiveness of encouraging you. Let's look at the first one, fellowship with Christ's body. The deepest encouragement you can possibly have in your life is intimate fellowship with a gospel community, a community marked by Christ-centeredness, sacrificial love, quick forgiveness, costly grace, unending mercy. Who would not want a community like that? And who would not be encouraged by it? That type of community will change your life. 
And notice this has nothing to do with a Sunday morning gathering. These are happening all throughout the week. These weren't on hold for us for the last four months. Experiencing encouragement through Christ's body happens more often during the week than on a Sunday. And that sort of brings me to the next one, and that's membership with Christ's body. So you have fellowship with Christ's body as a way of being encouraged, and membership with Christ's body as a way of being encouraged. That might sound like the same thing, but they're slightly different, because I'm talking about not church membership, I'm talking about like the 1 Corinthians 12 type of membership. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, and free, all were made to drink of one spirit. And then later in verse 27 of that chapter, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. When you become a Christian, you are forever, and I mean forever, linked to your fellow believers. You are part of the same entity or the same organism. Being a member of that body and reminding yourself to whom you belong will help you weather many storms. So here's why I put fellowship before membership. People who are not believers or members of the body can still get a glimpse and be deeply encouraged by the body of Christ. And that's amazing. You don't have to be a a member of it to experience what's going on there. Even members as well, if for some reason they become estranged or drift, need the constant fellowship of the body to remind them of the encouragement they have. One more thing before we leave talking about encouragement. The things of Christianity should not be a burden for the Christian. They should be an encouragement. And again, I'm not talking about simple daily stuff. We all have had long days of work where you get to the end and you're looking to community group that evening. And you think, man, I just do not want to go to community group. We've all been there. I'm not talking about long days that tire you out and you don't want to go to a church function. We all have hard days. It takes all your willpower to go. What I'm talking about is a long, deep connection with the local body of Christ. That when you look back in the rearview mirror of your life, at all the hills and valleys that you've gone through, right along with it, you see just an endless stream of encouragement from your community, helping you get through all those hills and valleys. The Christian ought to look at his life 
and consider it an unbelievable and undeserved blessing to be a part of a local church and the encouragement that it brings. It's unfortunate that a lot of times churches aren't always this way. A lot of people have had a lot of pain come from the church. But that's not the way it should be. He moves on. Comfort from love. This one's closely linked. It is experienced most on an interpersonal level, interacting with other people. At the risk of sounding like a cheesy greeting card, true love is the ultimate comfort. I don't think anyone in a right state of mind would argue against that. But many people argue against this, that the only place to see and experience true love is in Christ. And again, a lot of pain has come from people seeking it in other places. We're going to get into this a whole lot more next week. This passage, verses 1 through 11, we're going to be looking at for two weeks, this week and next week. And a lot of these themes are intertwined in both weeks. And this one we'll talk a lot about next week. The next one, participation in the Spirit. Some translations say fellowship with the Spirit. The two things we just talked about, encouragement and comfort, are prompted by this one. Fellowship with the Spirit causes a deep connection between believers. And this is a little bit about what I talked about in that membership piece. 1 Corinthians 12 that we just read. You become a member connected to other members of one body. And this Spirit is what connects you. We are connected to it. It is connected to each one of us. All the things we just talked about, encouragement and love, are in a sense amplified and realized because of our common connection to the Spirit of God at work in us. We have participation and fellowship together with the Spirit of God. And there are many ways that we experience it together. There's prayer, Bible reading, just conversations with each other, serving together. These are all ways that you participate together in this spirit that links you. The last one he mentions, affection and sympathy. This one's similar. The spiritual life of the Christian is one that is marked by affection and mercy toward people that you meet. It's a shame that the common opinion is opposite of Christians. You ask the average person, and the view of Christians is that they're hypocritical and judgmental. Almost the exact opposite of sympathy and affection. How different of a world would this be if the common opinion of Christians was that we overflowed with affection and sympathy for those around us. People would say, man, those people, they don't stop talking about Jesus, which is weird. But if you want to feel loved, if you want to feel sympathy, you talk to a Christian. 
Oh, that we would be that kind of a people, that kind of a community. So Paul takes a roundabout way and a very instructive way of asking us if you are a believer by this list of rhetorical questions and reminding us of the experience that we should have as a believer. Next, what he says is interesting. Complete my joy. Basically, make me happy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Not only have unity, so to sum it up, he's basically saying, if you want to make me happy by having unity, that's his call. But not only have unity, he says have unity around a certain thing. And this certain thing is where we're going to spend the rest of this week and all of next week. Have the same love, same mind, in full accord, all together, with one mind, what? Start ministries, create programs, preach on street corners. Look at what he says. And all that unity, with all that force behind it, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. (laughs) Absolutely amazing. Think of everything he could have commended us to do. And he chose that. Don't be selfish. Consider others more significant than yourself. And to sum it up, serve them. You want to know what you were saved to as a Christian? To serve. You know what God's call is on your life every day? You serve all day, every day. And you consider everyone that you meet more significant than you are. (laughs) This call takes our entire life to pursue. And it is interesting. This is a task that you can always complete successfully but you never successfully complete it. You never check it off the list. You never finish this and arrive at the point of saying, okay, I've considered others more important than myself. What's next? It doesn't work that way. But at the same time, you can do this at a point in time and look back and say, I did that. I did this verse there. It is an always achievable but never completable task. It's a life pursuit. And it is the life's work of a Christian. So this is where we're at a bit of a cliffhanger. Because left to ourselves, this is an impossible task. In order to help us think about this, Paul gives us an amazing example of Christ. 
And it's amazing to look at, but that's what we dive into next week. We'll be talking a lot about this in combination with the last half of this passage next week. But this week, I just want to spend some time talking about just some practical ways to think about this, just to help you get your mind spinning in preparation for next week as we look at Christ's example. But first, we're going to look at it piece by piece. The call is to do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, which is seemingly impossible for a human to do. At least when I think about it and look at how I act and think about things. But Paul fleshes it out for us and gives us a couple steps of detail for us to help think about it. And he breaks it down so that it doesn't seem like so lofty of a goal. He breaks it into two steps. One, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. That's clear. And then two, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You want to live your life without selfish ambition or conceit? You pursue those two things. Consider others more significant than yourself, and you look to others' interests as well as yours. The first one, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. I tried to think about different angles to expound on this for pages and pages, but it's hard because of how clear it is. It's so simple, but it carries so much weight. I don't need to expound on it because it's like hitting a wall with how clear it is. Consider other people more important than you are. Christians should have the mindset that every person they interact with is more important than themselves. Listen, and you know, you know how it feels when you interact with someone like that. You have a 30-second conversation with someone, and you can come away feeling like the most important person in their life. That should be the interactions with a Christian. It does not matter what sphere or realm of life. Context doesn't matter. You come in contact with another person, your mindset is, they are more significant than me. Think of how amazing the world would be if everyone lived this way. Paul continues to drill down in practicality. He goes one step further, practical. What's, how, how can I consider people more significant than me? He adds one more. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's simple, but not easy. Christians are inescapably linked to the people around them. When you become a Christian, life becomes much more joyful, but much more complicated. You can no longer say, forget everyone, I'm living for myself. Not only are you concerned with your own life, but you are also concerned with the lives of those around you 
and all those you come in contact with. That is the call of a Christian. And it's important to notice the detail of one word that Paul puts in. Look not only to your own interests. It's a classic example of the oxygen mask on the airplane. Put your oxygen mask on first, then help other people get your oxygen mask on. But that's within reason. You can take that too far to the point where you never do anything in the name of self-preservation. And you then miss the point. (laughs) Don't do that. You do need to take care of your own interests. An extreme example, you do not help the homeless out of crisis and poverty if you yourself become bankrupt and homeless in the process. It's an extreme example, but it shows that you, not, you look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. You do still need to look out for your interests. And like I said, this is going to be mingled with next week's message quite a bit. Practical pictures. Just a few of what this might look like in your life. Let's take a look at a couple ways that it might work out. One that jumps off the page to me is preferences. It's kind of a dirty word. But we should always be on the lookout for ways that we can lay aside our preferences for the sake of others in a helpful way that will either increase unity or demonstrate the gospel. And hopefully both. Here's again an extreme example of what this does not mean. A husband approaches his wife and says, Honey, I really would like to get a Ferrari instead of our minivan. And the wife says, Well, I would prefer you didn't, but I will lay aside my preferences. That's not helpful at all. It's an obvious example, but laying aside preferences in this scenario is not helpful, and it's not how you'd act. Another example, uh, this was back in probably January. It was cold out. It was before pandemic stuff. I was at a Cub Foods, and I came out of the parking lot. It was just super cold, so it had to have been January. Super windy, and this woman and her little son approached me in the parking lot as I was loading groceries into the car. And they were, they had gotten a place to stay. I don't remember the details. They, it sounded like they had a hotel booked, but they didn't have enough money for the room yet. So she had prepped a place for them to stay, but didn't have enough money for the room. And I think I had leftover, I never have cash with me, ever, just because of my generation. We do everything with a card. And, but I happened to have cash with me. I think it was like leftover Christmas money or something from a card. And I gave it to her. It was a $20 bill. My preference would have been to keep the 20 and buy something with it. But I looked not only to my own interests, but the interests of another. And they 
wandered off. I never saw him again. Laying aside preferences, seeking another's interests is a very unnatural thing. It sticks out. The world notices it. His, history is just scattered with people who've lived a life like this. History remembers it because it's so rare. It gives us a glimpse of what life should actually be like. The next. And it's all intertwined together. But service. Serving. I could not help but see the idea of serving in this entire text. This is just a detailed, practical breakdown of the way you should think in regards to service. Your call as a Christian is to serve everyone. When you go out to eat, you do not have a server that waits on your table. You are there to serve them. They are more significant than you are. You're paying them and tipping them well because, you gave, because they gave you the opportunity to serve them. That's how a Christian goes out to eat. Consider others more significant than you are. You serve. You have a serviceman or a contractor at your home or your workplace working on something. You serve them. They're not there to serve you. They are more significant than you are. You serve them. Are you a manager or a business owner with people underneath you? You serve them. They are more significant than you are. Make it an absolute joy to be under you. You serve them. Do you get the picture? I'll say it again. Do you want to know what you were saved for and what God's call on your life is? Serve everyone you meet every day. We'll close by looking at Paul's example for us. Because that seems like a heavy burden. An impossible task, maybe even. But now the last half of this passage has a little bit more meaning for us. Because look at what Paul says. How do, how do I do this, Paul? How am I supposed to serve everyone I've ever met? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And he gives us the example. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you see how Christ considered others more significant than himself? He looked not only to his own interests, but your interests. 9 through 11, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Next week, we're going to dive into this passage deeper to look at the example that's laid out before us and how he empowers us to live out this life. 